0: I've got to start this broadcast by saying I am an absolute fan of Kenny Strode, Iggy. That is a statement that might not be heard in all quarters, but man, he has always been nice to me and good to me and always willing to call me back and do whatever. And so that's why, as I start this podcast with my stroke journey and everything else, I, I am so thankful to him and so thankful that he's able to be on here and tell his story, which is very interesting. And so that's where I begin. I'm a fan of this guy. And I'm proud to say that I'm an Iggy Lemming. And so here's the rest of this episode of The Dale Wiley Show. Subscribe. I've got more coming up. Okay, man. i I'm here today with my friend Iggy Strode, who is just one fascinating dude and i just wanted to take some time and get to know him a little bit and i guess where i would start is you guys have kind of been a saint louis family through and through is that correct
1: um in what way explain yourself well
0: i mean you you started your life in saint louis is that right
1: oh yeah i mean other than you know a few trips here and there you know when you're kind of young, and we got a chance as uh, kids like 21 years old to go out to Reno, Nevada for a summer and work at the MGM with a couple of friends and Uh, lived in Bermuda for five years, lived in Springfield for a couple of years, but other than that, St. Louis has always been my home.
0: Well, and so so tell me, what did your parents do when you started growing up?
1: Uh, Well, we had a bunch of kids. Uh, We had seven kids, big Catholic family, so my mom was a uh, stay-at-home mom. And uh my dad was a bartender. He worked at Charcoal House for almost 30 years as probably the number 1 bartender in St. Louis and I remember as a kid he'd let me go up on weekends and wash glasses for him behind the bar and uh yeah, it was kind of fun. My dad, uh, you know, we weren't rich. My dad worked his ass off as a bartender but supported a family of seven. So um, Yeah. I learned to uh I learned to work and you know, don't need to be rich. You just got to be happy.
0: <laughs> Definitely. That's huge. And so tell me about growing up in St. Louis and what that was like.
1: Well, I mean, totally different, I guess, nowadays, uh, how kids grow up. I mean, you know, we grew up, uh, my early years, until third grade, I lived uh, down in the city on Flat Avenue. And uh-huh. uh, we had kind of a eclectic uh, neighborhood. You know, you had uh, one block of German, uh, people from Germany descent. You had a block of Irish. So my best friends growing up were, uh, Mickey Regan and Jimmy Moran. And, you know, we just did what kids do growing up. I mean, yeah, you played a lot of sports outside. You played baseball. You played wiffle ball. You played soccer. You traded baseball cards. You flipped <laughs> baseball cards. You know, you yeah. stopped, at the, stopped at the tasty freeze on the way home from school. and
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: You know, and then growing up uh, in Brentwood, when I transferred to Brentwood and uh, went to St. Mary Magdalene, pretty much the same thing. I mean, we were just out every day. We did played street hockey. We played hide-and-seek as kids. I mean, we didn't come in until – you know, uh, got dark outside and, you know, get home and have dinner and, you know, always had a family dinner. that was one thing my mom always said, everybody's eating dinner together. So we'd have nine (laughs) people around the table having dinner. And, uh, you know, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have video games. You know, you had to go outside and uh, have fun. And I think that's the difference now is this, you know, too many kids are just, you know, you see them on their cell phone texting or playing games and, you know, nobody gets outside and enjoys themselves anymore.
0: Right. And so, at some point, you got very interested in music. Is that right?
1: Probably at a young age? I mean, my sisters uh were big k she fans. They listened to classic rock and rock and roll and you know I remember that was uh,
0: the dawn of k she too i mean yeah, that was that was,
1: uh, I was ten years old when you know they were listening to k. She and um oh. you know i just uh I, I grew up on that music and then I grew up on my dad's music. i mean he'd get up in the morning to go to work at the at charcoal house and you have Tony Bennett or Frank Sinatra or Billy Eckstein playing. And uh-huh. you know, I kind of like that music too. So I, I yeah. a wide range. I mean, I love classic. I love classic rock. Uh, I love, uh, you know, crooners. I love Sinatra. I love Tony Bennett. Uh, I love those, that type of music. So growing up, it was uh you know, my dad's classic uh, crooners and my sister's rock and roll. So got to love music at a young age.
0: Yeah. And so at some point you got a nickname for one of those rock and rollers,
1: I did. It was in high school, <laughs> and um, I wrote all of the sports columns for the Eagleette. That was the Brentwood school newspaper. I was in the journalism class, so uh-huh. I wrote all the sports columns. And I also, once a month, I wrote a record review. And as I uh-huh. tell the story, you know, back, you know, when when I was in high school, I mean, what I hate to separate this, but at Brentwood, you had like two groups of people that they called you, you were either a jock or you were a freak. Uh-huh. you know, jocks played sports and the freaks just sat outside and smoked cigarettes and smoked pot. Right. Um, so I was a I was a, <laughs> I was a jock for like three and a half years and I turned into a freak.
0: Um,
1: but the music we listened to, you know, it was, you know, Wishbone Ash and Chicago and Three Dog Night and, you know, Emerson Lake and Palmer. And, you know, uh, one day, uh, Sue Swanson, who is a good friend to this day, I still talk to Sue all the time. She yeah, said... Yeah. Uh, you know, you always do these record reviews on the stuff you guys listen to, but what about the, you know, the stuff we listen to? And I said, like, what? And she said, well, have you ever heard of Iggy Pop and the Stooges, Raw Power? And I said, no, I haven't. I uh-huh. so yeah, well, I listened to it, and I wrote a review on it. It was actually pretty good. Yeah. And, um, just all my, you know, we go to baseball practice that day. I forgot what it was, but somebody said, what the hell is that crap you're, you're writing about Iggy Pop? <laughs> You don't listen to that shit. And I said, No. I said I said, but Sue Swanson asked me to listen to it, so I did a review. I go, Oh, I guess you're one of the freaks now. Okay, Iggy. And <laughs> just all started calling me Iggy and it kinda of stuck.
0: <laughs> That's funny. And so anyway, at a certain point, what were your favorite concerts that you got to see?
1: Oh, Dale, I've seen so many concerts in my life. I mean, I'm going back to the days <laughs> when there was a concert like four days a week at the old kilo. Oh, yeah. Forum. And you could get it you can go to a concert for like seven bucks. Um yeah. so I mean I've seen Loyster Colt probably seven times. I've seen Slade about seven times.
0: Slade uh, is great.
1: Yeah. Um but I, I tell people and and most people have never heard of these two bands, but my favorite concert of all time was the Straubs and Renaissance.
0: Yeah. They're, at the, old, I love either, the Straubs. They're Yeah. You know,
1: either at Fox or the old Keel Opera House. It was uh sat like 2,500 people, 2,000 people, and the setting was perfect, and I took my ex-girlfriend, Connie Lasseter, to the show, and it's the first time I smoked pot, and uh, uh, it was just kind of a laid-back show, because if you know anything about Renaissance, they don't even have a lead guitarist. They got a,
0: yeah. like <laughs> Annie
1: Haslam, who I think has the best voice in music, and a bass right. player, and a drummer, and that's uh-huh. pretty much it, um, and Straub's is just, you know, a great, great band, um, so... I I recommend if nobody's ever heard of those two bands, go listen to them. But I mean, so many good. I mean, I've seen, uh, I've seen Morrissey. I've seen David Bowie four times. uh, I've seen Springsteen. I mean, I've seen almost every band. I've seen the Stones. I've seen almost every band that I've ever wanted to see. uh, Queen four or five times, I saw them. I saw them every time they came to St. Louis. Right. I I don't think I missed a show, and they were coming like every year. They would come out with an album every year, and they would go tour. Um, (laughs) So, you know, other than... I wish I would have seen Elvis at some point. I had a chance, and I didn't go. You know um, what?
0: I did get to see him right before he died. I was five. That was awesome.
1: Yeah, my so sister had a him. ticket when he played in St. Louis. I think the last time he played St. Louis, my sister had an extra ticket, and she goes, you want to go? I said, no, see Elvis. Uh, yeah. I wish I would have. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't think there's many shows. I try to think off the top of my head if there's a um, – I don't believe I've ever seen Dire Straits. I mean, I've seen Mark Knopfler by himself, uh, like three, four years ago when he was in town, but uh-huh. he's kind of, you know, he's kind of uh, missing a few, a few beats. He's not the, he's still a good guitar player, but not, I thought at the time one of the best guitar players ever. And now he's kind of, right. you know, he's missing a few beats here and there. So, but I never saw Dire Straits in their heyday, which I would have loved to have seen.
0: Yeah, and so tell me about your adventures in Bermuda. How did that happen?
1: That was, at the time, I was in probably my early 20s. I was working at the Breckenridge Inn in Frontenac as a waiter. And my old boss uh, was from, I think he was from the Netherlands, actually. Robert Rosen was his name. Uh-huh. And this guy was such a character. I mean, he was, he was a drop-dead gorgeous dude, like maybe 40 years old. But, I mean, he was right. like... Uh, uh, he was just a good-looking dude. I mean, he was married, but that didn't stop him. I mean, I think he was banging half, <laughs> of, the, he was, he was banging half of the people that checked into the hotel.
0: <laughs> but
1: with him and he and uh, I got along great. And um, he took a job at the Sinesta Beach Hotel in Bermuda as food and beverage manager, and we had a going-away party for him. And I half-kiddingly said, well, if you ever need a waiter, call me. It was like a year later, I get a phone call, uh, and I can't do his accent. He says, Iggy, my baby, you want to come to, you want to, come to Bermuda? And uh, I said, really? He goes, yep. He says, uh, the restaurant we have, the greenhouse, it's uh, gourmet and a lot of tableside side flambe and a lot of the Bermudians don't know how to do tableside flambe. And I know you do because we do at the Breckenridge and uh, they let me go overseas and hire an employee. So if you want to come, you have the job. And I did. It took like six months. You got to go through all this stuff. You got to send in x-rays and all this stuff, and then they have to approve you and get a work permit. And it took like six months, but he called me and said, everything went through. When can you get here? Really? Then, like, I said, I need at least two weeks. So two weeks later, after uh, they cleared everything, I was in Berlin, had an apartment right on the ocean, um, got lucky because when all these employees come down there to work behind the hotel, they have what they call the uh, employee dormitories. And I mean dormitories. I mean, it's like college. It's like two beds in a room, and you're like two feet apart. And, and um, so when I got there, the dormitories were full, and there were like nine new employees coming down, so they had to sublet this apartment complex, uh, Waterville Apartments, which is there to this day. My friend Biff was on a cruise about uh, 14, yeah. 15 months ago, and I stopped in Bermuda. I said, get down to Southampton and see if you can't find the Waterville apartment.
0: Uh, and he found
1: it and took a picture of it still there. and. uh I got the uh, studio apartment, you know, little thing, but it's, you know, you walk in the, you walk in the sliding glass door and there's my bed uh, (laughs) off the right is the kitchen and the bathroom. That's pretty much it, but had a huge patio overlooking the ocean. And uh, it's a union law that you can't charge an over employees more than $79 a month to live. Oh, wow. So so I had this apartment uh, around the ocean for 79 bucks a month. Um, Wow. So I was there for five years and uh, like I've told the story a million times, uh, it's a very strong union in Bermuda, maybe one of the strongest in the world. I mean,
0: Adewale, on, Simmons, right?
1: Adi Simmons, my good buddy, still talk <laughs> still talk to Adi. Had his birthday not long ago.
0: Um,
1: still kicking, and uh, Adi was the best. He was such a dynamic speaker. But I mean, they go going strike. If you know somebody was uh, given a two day suspension, you know, for fighting the strike, um, uh-huh. so they named me shops. They elected me shop steward of the restaurant. And uh, I just from $300 a week to about $1,000 a week in tips when I realized that the Mater D and the assistant Mater D were taking all, taking most of our tips. And I finally just said, look, your management, have management pay. You're not taking our money. Uh-huh. So I got to be pretty popular. And um, after five years, they decided the uh, hotel was going to try and break the union. And the way they were going to start trying to do that was not hire the overseas, not back the overseas uh shop stores which I happen to be one so uh my sixth year they didn't uh, I get done with my fifth year you go in for your review and they told me they weren't renewing my work permits and that was the end of that yeah who knows I could be down there married with a couple of Bermudian kids you never know
0: (laughs) yeah and so then you came back to St. Louis again and you got into the new thing of sports talk radio how did that happen
1: yeah, it was kind of a – it's not something I was really looking at. You know, I always wanted to be – and if you look at my, my senior yearbook and even my junior yearbook, I would say 90% of the signatures were good luck, Iggy, and your DJ endeavors, because everybody knew, knew I wanted to be a DJ. Right. Uh, mainly a K-She. Sure. And, um, but then the Bermuda thing came up, and I just, you know, went down there. But um, that's what I wanted to do. And actually, there was a, one or two days a week, there was a friend of mine who was uh, – uh, I don't, they don't say Z in Bermuda. They say Zed for some reason. Uh, and I was uh, working with this dude. I got to be friends with that uh, Zed, Z FM. And they would just play, they would play a lot of rock and roll music, but a lot of, you know, Caribbean stuff too. And once or twice a week, you know, when I felt like it, he'd say, oh, come on in. And we'd just chat and we would play music and talk. And so I kind of just like, God, I love this just sitting behind the mic and playing music and having fun. So when I got uh-huh. home I had, I had some money saved up, you know, I didn't spend a lot of money down there other than, you know, I bought a boat with another guy. We bought a fishing boat and I had a Boston sure. trailer and, uh, but, you know, I didn't go out drinking, getting drunk every night. Um, you know, it only took like one or two drinks to pick up a chicken Bermuda and <laughs> most, most of them I waited on, but, um, you know, I saved a lot of money. So I got home. I really didn't have to do anything. I moved into a two family flat down on Utah, uh, upstairs for my good friend, um, Uh, Pat Dean from Dick Dean Hyundai him and his wife lived downstairs Uh and he told me you got to move in this place upstairs This guy's only charging like 150 bucks a month. All we got to do is cut the grass. I mean it was It was a three-bedroom. It had wood grain floors the parquet floors chandeliers. I mean, it was gorgeous. Wow Um, then I was just getting bored, you know, I was doing nothing and um, So I said what I just want to I'll get a job waiting table somewhere until I figure out what I want to do I went to work at the pasta house um down in uh, the Central West End. It's not there anymore, but... Um, right. Was working down there, and um, we had a uh, charity softball team. We had a Pasta softball team. And, uh, you know, we would just play on weekends. And at the time, uh, 1380 had just started. as an all-sports station. Uh-huh. And uh, I was playing a charity game, and the team we were playing against was Bob Ramsey, Rob Fisher, and a couple other guys. Yeah. And we got done playing. We had a couple of beers, and we were talking sports, I like, you know a lot about sports. I said, well, I grew up around sports, played sports all my life, still follow all the teams. He said, sure. well, they just started this all-sports station, 1380 KSP, and we're looking for a producer. I said, look, I, I don't know what that entails. I've never been a producer. <laughs> and they said, well, we don't either. We just started this. But, you know, just, maybe get us a you know, give us topics, you know, give us news every day, you know, things like that. You know, answer the phones. That's pretty much it. I said, well, that sounds easy. So I had to start out as an intern. And I did and uh, got lucky. I uh, said, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to try to do it right. So at the time, there were only, I think, seven or eight sports stations in the country.
0: Wow. And
1: WFAN was one of them. Yeah, now there's like 500 of them. Uh-huh. Uh, WFAN was one. So I reached out to WFAN and said, look, I just started this job. I'm producing. I really don't know what I'm doing, but I'd like to do a good job at it. Uh, who can I talk to to give me some advice? And they put me in touch with the producer there, Rob Scolaro. Who I think now runs Madison Square Garden Network, wow. um, and um, yeah, look how where he went, and look what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but he said I really like helping out young young people that want to get into this business. You know, there's not a lot of us around starting the sports radio. So he faxed me over. and There's no cell phones then, no computers, and he faxed me over about I don't know thirty pages of phone numbers. Wow. And he said, you know, the good, the the big thing about this is, you know. Take care of your host. Give them enough topics, but you got to get good guests on the air. And yeah. uh, so I had this. I had this uh, these 30 pages of phone numbers, and there were no cell phones back then. So all these numbers I had were either office numbers or home numbers. And Right. One day we're doing the uh, midday show, and I said, you know what? I'd like to get Greg Maddox on. And one of the <laughs> numbers was Maddox's home number in Las Vegas. I called him, he answered. And back then I was like, oh, sports radio? Really? Yeah, i got a few minutes because you know, uh, nobody's calling them. So that was right. the very first guest I got was, uh, Greg Maddox. And ever since then, I've been known as a producer in St. Louis that gets the big names on the air. Yeah. So that was the start of it. And, uh, they hired me and then that went under. And then, um, Bob Birch, who was running KZK at the time that the people that owned that bought 590, bought 1380, uh, and, or bought the, uh, brought us all over to, uh, do a sports state, turn 590 into a sports station. Right. So, I mean, connects to, uh, you know, I'm doing my show and I'm, sitting next to Ed Goodman in the mornings they're doing the K Z K show and um uh, yeah, you know, that lasted for a while and I just kinda you know the story, bopped around every time five ninety was sold. <laughs> I left there, went to thirteen eighty, that was sold, went to five ninety, just went back and forth.
0: So how did you get out of Springfield?
1: Springfield was I just gotten fired by Mike Claiborne. Um I really don't know why I did nothing. That was one of the times <laughs> got, that was one of the times I got fired. What the hell did I do? Um, <laughs> other than get the biggest names uh, in sports on these shows. But sure, that was just something between me and Claves. Kind of like a, <laughs> and I, I'll tell the story, and Claves wants to just, and I've already said this, but Claves, <laughs> is still, Claves is still my dear friend, but it's a project sure. supposed to tell stories. But it's, you know, Claves was doing afternoons, and his producer was having trouble getting guests. And um, I was producing Frank's show, and he did a segment called Where Are They Now?, and uh, then we turned it into greats of the game. Once a week, we just get a great from a different sport on. And uh, he said, let's, let's do a hockey one this week. What do you think you can get? And I said, I think I got a number for Bobby Orr. So, I mean, I called Bobby Orr, and he said, Yeah, I can do it Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it was. So we had Bobby Orr on the air. As he, Frank introduces Bobby Orr, the other hotline rings, and it's Claves. Claves goes, How'd you Bobby Orr on the air? <laughs> I, said, I made a phone call. <laughs> Tony's, been trying, Tony's been trying to get it from me for a year. I said, "What's the statute of limits? Statute of limitations on getting a guest? I it took me one <laughs> phone call. Uh, yeah. so he, actually, he actually suspended me for getting Bobby Orr on the air, <laughs> uh, and um, so anyway, I was like at a, this home in my pool for a week, getting paid because I got Bobby Orr on the air. But uh-huh. I think I think a lot of it had to do with you know I was getting these big name guests on the air, and he wasn't getting any. Sure. For so, so that to this day, I still think that was it. But either way, me and Clay, <laughs> me and Clay a great friend still. But when that happened, Greg Marisette came to me and said, there's a guy in Springfield, Ken Myers. Is, he owns like eight stations down there, and he's turning one of his FM stations into a sports station. And he called me for advice, uh, you know, best way to run this, to get it off the ground. What should I take locally? What should I do nationally? And he said, the first thing you should do is hire Kenny Strode as your producer. He said, I don't know if he'll come down there, but he is the best produced sports producer in the business. And if you can get him down there, that's the first thing you need to do. So it turned out that two days before that, I had an interview at ESPN up in Bristol. Uh-huh. They had uh, heard through, I guess there's a, a website that lists people that are out of jobs, and it was the news that Ken Strode of Sports Radio 590 has been fired. So I get a call from Len Weiner at ESPN and said, we'd like to fly you down for an interview. And I went right. down there, and uh, I guess they stay on top of things unless they were just bullshitting me because he said, we consider you one of the top five sports producers in the country. And we'd love you to to be the lead producer on weekend overnights. So we talked. I mean, this meeting. I mean, this meeting lasted six hours. I mean, I, I met with like eight different people. Uh-huh. And uh, so I get home, and I get this message from Greg saying this guy Ken Meyer, the starting a sports station, wants to talk to you. So I called Ken. I drove down to the field the next day, uh, met with him, wanted to hire me, and I said. I need to think about it. Cause I also interviewed with the SPN. So, you know, let me drive home. I'll think about the meeting and I'll let you know. Well, when I get home, I got a message uh, on my, my answer machine that ESPN offered me the job. Oh, And so now I have two jobs and I said, look, I really, I to be honest with you, I had no intention of taking the ESPN job. <laughs> I just wanted the free trip down there to see their compound. And get the free, <laughs> I get, yeah. the, get the free swag. They give all the people they interview. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so, I end up taking the Ken Meyer, call him, I take his job. And so I was there a little over two years. Um, Yeah, it was, I love Springfield, but this guy really was kind of a curmudgeon. I mean, he lied about everything. He, he screwed me out of $10,000 over two years working there about lying about what he was going to pay me for bonuses and things like that. So, you know, I love Springfield. I love the people, but.
0: But you met some friends, including Billy Long, and that was cool.
1: Yeah, Billy was a great guy. I actually did the morning show with Billy. That's another thing, too, about this guy. He hired me to do the sports reporter show and to do a golf show. And uh, the day I get there, I get into town on a Friday, and I'm going to start the next Monday. Then he informs me I'm also co-hosting the morning news talk show. Uh, Ah. I do the sports reporter. I go, I don't know anything about news politics. (laughs) So, yeah, me and uh, Bonnie did that for two years. Yeah, it was, uh, it was city. I love Springfield. I like that I could get to um, at like 2 o'clock, 2.45, I was string trout fishing in Lake Como.
0: Yeah, um, definitely.
1: So, I mean, I enjoyed the city, but yeah, I was a grind working for this guy for two years, but anyway, that's how Springfield came about.
0: <laughs> and so you moved back to St. Louis, and you've gotten started, and you're now on the TMA, the morning after.
1: I think it's my third inception on TMA. Uh, <laughs> Tell me about that. Well, the first time was I was running the board uh, when they were we were doing the show from the sex shop. Uh-huh. And then I think when they came back to 590 after that, before they went to 920, I think I did something with them. Um, and then obviously I worked with them on 920 and they did the morning show and I was doing the show with Ron Godier um, on 920. but. Um, went back to 590 when Randy Markel took over and wow. Bernetti and Ramsey asked me if I would produce their show because they were buying time um, and asked if I produced the show and I said yeah, yeah. And so we got to ask uh, Randy I said okay I said I don't know why you got to ask Randy you're buying the airtime. you can do what you want can't you right. yeah. um, but anyway he uh, kind of drug his feet on getting back so <laughs> I said I already had I already had Joe Buck and Bob Costas lined up as their first two guests, and I'm not even with the show. (laughs) I still haven't been told I can be with the show. Um, So finally that happened that uh, Randy met with me and liked me and um, said, yeah, you're fine to go on that show. I'm sure you'll do great, and it'll be a great show. So I went on that show. Uh, J.C. Corcoran was supposed to be on the show, um, but we had our meeting. I had already had kind of a falling out with J.C., um about something and Ramsey said is this going to be a problem I said I have no problem I don't care but it turned into JC we're in this meeting I'm the producer and JC is running the whole show and JC is okay we'll start with the jokes from my DVR and I'll get into some of my older interviews I go wait a minute I said is this the JC (laughs) show or is this is this Vernetti and Ramsey sports show right he goes well you don't like it I go no this isn't you're doing the same shit for 20 years you're not (laughs) going to bring it onto this show so we kind of had an argument there and I think he lasted a week and I said, this isn't going to work. Uh, I went to Randy. I said, this isn't going to work. JC is just, he's turning it into his JC Showgram show. So JC was gone. Um, and he's still doing the same shit for, he's been doing for 20 years. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's no secret. I don't get along with JC, (laughs) but, uh, started the, with them. And then, um, I kind of, uh, did my own show. I started uh, a show. We called it Behind the Glass. I did it with Brennan Schaefer and uh, Matt Rocchio. Um, so I did that. And then um, when he brought Tim over to take over the station, run the station, and bring everybody back, uh, I'd filled in a couple times for Seymour on their show when he was out of town on vacation. They asked me to produce the show. And we did my own thing. You know, I did some interviews. We did some audio postcards and things. But uh, when Tim took over, he said, I want you on the morning show. So Uh That's what I'm going on, what, three years now? Yeah, it's been a while.
0: And, you know, actually, all of this stuff, tell me about how that experience has been.
1: Oh, working with those guys?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, it's the funnest show I've ever been on. (laughs) And I've already told you two stories, so I don't hold back.
0: (laughs) I'll
1: tell you the truth. truth. Um, No, I mean, I guess I always consider Tim my boss. I know he's not my boss anymore. Um, it had nothing to do with running the radio station, but I would do anything in the world for Tim McKernan. Um, uh, yeah. he's always been good to me. He's always, he's one of the few people that I work with that actually tell the truth. Uh-huh. Um, he's gone to bat for me a few times, uh, over the last few years, um, with management for certain things. He's always, he's always got my back, but now working with him and the cat and, dove, uh, plowsy and gangster Pete, I mean, it's five of the, five of the funnest guys you've ever worked with. So.
0: Yeah, it sure seems like it.
1: Yeah, I couldn't be happier. I mean, that's one thing about radio. I mean, you're always going to have people, it seems, that there's always one or two you don't get along with. But I can honestly say the five guys I work with, I mean, we leave there every day laughing and having fun and uh, good friends. I mean, you know, me and the cat can go after each other every once in a while. But at the end of the day, we just, see you tomorrow, buddy. Um, (laughs) So it's all good. Everybody likes everybody. We have fun doing the show. Um, you know, nobody complains about. Oh God, we got to get up and do the show again. No, I, mean, I actually look forward to going to work every morning. So
0: that's yeah, awesome. Out of,
1: all, out of the 28 years I've been doing this, this, is probably the funnest time I've had doing
0: radio. Wow. And you know, that actually brings me to the thing that I just think you're so good at, which is the Make It Matter Foundation. Tell me about that.
1: That was that started 10 years ago, and uh-huh. um. Oh, trying to warm up my hand. I'm doing this outside so you can actually hear by this <laughs> my phone isn't yeah. Starting to get a little chilly. Um yeah, about ten years ago I was uh, it was a St. Louis Junior League that came to me and um they were they were doing this program, this anti bullying program. And one of the people they had coming to speak was Sydney Wilhelm. And you may want to check out Sydney. She's uh, God, she is she's I'm so proud of her. She's, she just uh, was in the Miss Missouri pageant. Uh, she's working for these corporations, doing public relations for them, I and mean, she's turned into just a gorgeous young lady. But cool. at, the time, at the time when I went to this uh, – they had this together where they're going to have some people who were, who were bullied to come up and speak, and Sydney got up and spoke. And I heard her story that – I mean she'd go to school – and she was picked on every day. I mean, she'd be eating lunch by herself. And these kids would come up and just, like, smash Twinkies in her hair and throw stuff at her and call her names. And I'm like, oh, my wow. God. And uh, so what they wanted kind of like a media presence with the Junior League in this new program to get the word out. So, oh. I mean, I was just – I was in tears after her story. I'm like, oh, my God, how, how can you do that to somebody? So um, did a few things for them. And then Megan Meyer um, – Tina started the foundation after Megan committed suicide for being uh-huh. bullied. So she started the the Megan Meyer Foundation and they were looking for board members and the junior league told Tina, you should call Kenny. So uh-huh. Tina called me and met with her and, you know, heard what she was going to try to do with this foundation and heard the story about Megan. And I said, yeah, count me in. Yeah. Was, uh, ten years. Well, we, I mean, you have 10 board members and You know, we all do the same thing. Gobble bowl, I kind of do on my own. This is something I wanted to do for them. And I said, look, I said, you don't have to do anything. You guys, we all work hard enough on the golf tournament and the banquet and our trivia nights. And you guys are all over the city every day speaking at schools, doing workshops. So this is one I put together with the people I know. I I know I can get enough bowlers and I know I can get a ton of prizes. So let me just put this together. Um, But, I mean, we do our golf. Of you. Uh, We kind of looked at it a year ago. Our banquet was always our biggest fundraiser, oh. but it was so much work because it's not like all of our other things we do. I mean, this is people are wearing coats and ties and we're giving out scholarships and we have people speaking and we give away awards. And, you know, it's kind of like an elegant night where it's sit down dinner sure. and open bar. Yeah. But I mean, it, it takes like nine months to get put this thing on. And we thought about, you know, for the money we make and the, the time we do, I mean, I said, we can do two trivia nights and make that money, and trivia nights are nothing. Uh-huh. So we did our first trivia night last year, and <laughs> made like $38,000, and wow. it, took, like, it took like four weeks to put together. Yeah. So now we're going to try to do more of those, but the main thing is just Tina. I mean, Tina goes to school 200 days a year. She's going to schools and talking to teachers and parents and kids, and um, so it's, more, it's mainly Tina, but... You know, getting grants, things like that, that's all things the board works on.
0: Well, I mean, it's such a cool story. Now, I do have to know, did you ever give real serious consideration to being a professional bowler?
1: Yeah, for a period of time. Uh, I bowled in a couple of pro tournaments where, you know, back then it didn't take much to get a PBA card. I mean, if you had a 200 average for two years, you'd get a PBA card. Uh Um, so I got one, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have the money to go traveling around the country to bowl. Um, but you know, when certain stops were close, you know, I would bowl, never crashed. But Uh you know, I wasn't, uh, there was a time when, uh, we were working out every day with Bo, Bo Burton was my good friend and Uh we'd go up to Olivet and we'd just like bowl for four hours every day during the summer. And I got Uh pretty good and I wanted to bowl, but you know, that was never, there wasn't enough money back then. Well, I guess there's more money back then than there is now, but, you know, I mean, you know, the cash, you might make a thousand dollars, but you talk about, even if you get like a Winnebago or whatever, you travel to the tournament, uh, gas, pay for a hotel, food. I mean, you almost have to finish in the top 10 to make make it back. So, yeah, and you
0: know, now you've kind of given that up. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think it's like going on four years, retired.
0: <laughs>
1: I just, I didn't have fun. I wasn't having fun anymore, Dale. You know, when you're on the couch and you look at your watch and, oh, God, i got to go bowling. You know, so you get off the couch, you get dressed, you go to the bowling alley, you're done with practice, and, you know, somebody's supposed to be bowling and then the bar doing something I'm like, oh, come on. i gotta I got to get out of here. You know, so if you haven't even started bowling yet and you're dreading, God, I wish this would end. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not having any fun doing it, so i do it. Yeah. I well, up a ball with the family or nothing, I haven't picked up a ball in almost four years.
0: Well... I tell you, I just think that this is a really interesting story, and I'm glad I get to tell it. And so I'm really thankful. Is there anything else you want to add or say or whatever?
1: No, I want to ask how you're doing, buddy.
0: I'm doing good. I literally had such an interesting event, and I was up in St. Louis and met some wonderful people and some people who listened to your show, and it was wonderful. So I'm going to make sure that I get fully healed.
1: Well, you're sounding great, uh hanging yes. there. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate All it. Right. And, Thank uh,
0: you so much.
1: You know, if if uh hopefully Claves isn't pissed off, he knows I love him to death, J <laughs> C. JC,
0: He'd
1: JC be a I good
0: guest. J C I
1: can do shits if he's pissed off. Fuck him.
0: <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, buddy. Okay, bye.
1: See ya.